0: Welcome to Heartfelt Awakening Radio. I am your host, Denny Van. We are continuing our transformational journeys to spirit. We are so excited to be interviewing Christy Subner and she is Part of the Soul Sisters Paranormal Group, and they do paranormal investigations. I am so excited that you're here because going over and reading your bio, there's just so much that I want to talk about. But first of all, with your background and your experience in public affairs and criminal justice and being a traveler, how the heck did you get into paranormal investigations?
1: It, it actually started as a girls' trip. Um, we, we uh, my sisters, and I live in different parts of the country, and so we would routinely get together to go to different cities, meet up in different cities, to just have interesting experiences. Um, you know, do do unique things. Um, and in 2014, we had the opportunity to go to Moundsville, West Virginia, which is where the West Virginia State Penitentiary is located. And uh, we had a family friend that sat on the board of uh, that facility, and he said, "You know, while you're here in Moundsville, why don't you just take one of the nights there?" and, and stay the night. And so we did that. We stayed the night in the West Virginia State Penitentiary. We had some voice recorders with us and some uh, digital cameras and such. And we left that experience with what we felt was extremely compelling evidence that we couldn't explain. So we were capturing footsteps in the darkness. We are capturing men's voices, doors slamming, door knocking, and all of that. And it really compelled us to delve further into this research. So we decided to formulate Soul Sisters Paranormal. We came up with our name and our logo and our theme music and all of that, and we just decided to start traveling the country and visiting historic and reportedly haunted locations to really tell the historical narrative first for our audience, and then pull in any paranormal or unexplained activity that we found during our investigations there.
0: Excellent. So your very first one in that first night being there, you know, going in with the idea of debunking, or is it true, or... You know, you mentioned research, but what did you move forward from that space of finding something?
1: And you're absolutely right. So all of us on the team, we, we do have a research background. So to your point earlier, I've got a PhD. Jenny has a PhD. We've got two lawyers and a master's holder on the team. So we really wanted to come at this from a research-minded perspective. And so uh, after West Virginia, after that first investigation, again, which was extremely rudimentary and, and something that we just did for, for really fun of it, um, after that, we really decided to use our background to see if we could go in and with a healthy skepticism to develop. Bunk first to your point, and then if barring that, trying to pull in any unexplained uh, p- paranormal activity that we found. And so we will go in and we will control for all the environmental factors that we can in any location. Um, we try to control for noise pollution, light pollution. Um, we take copious notes on where um, air tra- uh, airline traffic is flying overhead, train traffic, you know, beside it and all of that. Uh, and then when we control for all that, what we're left with is unexplained to us. So we really do pull in that, that research background and that research mindset. Um, but... After that, what we're left with is such cool experiences um, and, and paranormal findings that it just really drives us and keeps us going. Excellent. I
0: am a closet paranormal investigator. I actually did paranormal investigations in the Chicagoland metropolitan area uh, with a group in uh, a a northwest suburb of Chicago and we did some amazing places and sure enough I ended up renting an office space in a place that we have so much documented stuff so it's so exciting that I, I, I stopped it around 2020 and you know it just But I love that it's an all-female team and you've gone to some of these amazing places. Mm -hmm. So with, I'm looking at the list of all of these amazing places that you've gone (laughs) to. It's like, holy cow, anybody who's (laughs) getting into this, that's like a dream to be able to get something there, you know? Mm -hmm. What has been your favorites
1: Well, all of them, that's an interesting question because all of them are essentially my favorites just because they're so unique, right? So even though we're we're attempting to find essentially the same thing at each of these locations, the historical narrative of those locations are so unique specifically to that location. So, for example, the Velisca Axe Murder House is much different than Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, which is much different than the St. Augustine Lighthouse. So, really, all of them have that unique historical background uh, that, that just fascinates me on every level. So, you know, I get to go in and have a very tactile experience with these his- historical places, right? I get to, you know, walk up the stairs of the lighthouse or put my hands on bricks that were laid by Revolutionary War soldiers. So, each of them have been a favorite. Um, from a historical standpoint I would say that Fort Mifflin I, I kind of give the nod to Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia uh, simply because of the longevity uh, the historical components behind that it was built during the Revolutionary War um, just by revolutionaries who had such faith in the clause um, that they were able to hold off the British the entire British fleet of, of boats in the in the harbor there so George Washington could get his army out of Philadelphia so just the historical background of that location to me is, is fantastic and it also has a lot of of unexplained activity that we found when we investigated there. Um, From a paranormal standpoint, I would say the location that is the most intriguing to me is the the old Gilchrist County Jail which is in Trenton, Florida and that's about an hour's west of Gainesville, Florida. And this is just a small county jail. It was built in 1928 and it was in operation until 1968 and it had four cells on the bottom and four cells on the top and then a small jailer's cottage that was connected via a doorway to that bottom level. And um even though it's small in size and footprint, it's very large in paranormal activity. So for uh, for me that That, I think, was probably the one that I'd give the nod to from a paranormal standpoint. Excellent. And so the paranormal
0: activity that you had in that small space that ended up being very large and paranormal activity, what were the kind of things that you were unable to explain
1: well, when we first got there, this was an interesting investigation because it was a collaboration between myself and Miranda Young from Ghostbiker Exploration. So she and I were the only two people on the property that night. And I've, I've subsequently investigated with my entire team of Soul Sisters. But for that first night, it was just she and I. And when we approached the owner about investigating there, she she let us know that it's, it's not in the best area. So she said, if if you if you carry, if you, if you're licensed to carry a handgun, I highly recommend you keep your guns with you at all times during the night, um, just for safety reasons. And so we did that. We both carry. So we both had our pistols with us. And so we walked in that night and we weren't really feeling anything to begin with. Um, so for about an hour, none of our equipment was picking up anything. We weren't feeling anything. And so Miranda said, I wonder if they think we're law enforcement because we have our guns on us. So let's try taking our guns off and see if we get a response from that. So, so I take my gun off my hip and I put it on one of the cots that's in one of the cells there. And Miranda does the same thing. And as she's putting it down on the cot, she says, I'm putting my gun down nice and slowly. And right behind us, a male's voice said, good. And there was no men in the, anywhere in the property. She and I were the only two people on the property. And so after that, the night was really on. Per se, because every piece of equipment that we had that night really validated every other piece of equipment. And by that I mean we were hearing voices in the moment, we were capturing them on our voice recorder. We were getting names, we were hearing names that we were able to validate through our handheld equipment. So for example, when we at we got the name Robert, we audibly heard the name Robert. And when we started asking questions about Robert, some of the uh, equipment that alarms was starting to go off in response to those questions. Um, We saw shadow figures um, visibly with our own eyes and we captured them on camera. Um, We have a device called an SLS camera, which generally speaking is an iPad connected to um, a a, a little camera that has an algorithm in it. And when it perceives a human form in, in the space in front of it, it will put a stick figure on the screen. And so there was no living person in front of that camera, but yet we had stick figures that were interacting with us and doing motions that we asked them to do, such as raise your hand and all of that stuff. So that was very intriguing to us. And it was like, if I could call it the, the perfect paranormal investigation, that's what I would label this just because of the amount of activity that we couldn't explain. And then we had those other pieces of, of equipment validating those experiences.
0: Do you ever go back to those locations? Is that a location that you went by yourself, right? And then you went with your soul sisters?
1: Is that one that you frequent and still get activity? Yes, we've been there multiple times and that's just the location and it's easy because it's close to us. Um, The same thing with the St. Augustine Lighthouse. We've been there multiple times because we're in Florida. Um, There's other locations that it's just maybe a one-time shot for us. So for example, the Velisca Axe Murder House, you know, going from Florida to Iowa, it's a little bit of a trek. So uh, on those investigations, we go in with the mindset that this may be the one and only opportunity that we have. Um, But there's other locations that we've gone to multiple times. Um, Henry River Mill Village, in North Carolina that's another location that we frequent um and, and so yeah so the, to your to your question the old Gilcrest County Jail is a location that we frequent and we we get experiences every time we go that's fantastic mm-hmm. that's freaking fantastic <laughs>
0: so um have you done any kind of paranormal investigations outside the United States
1: not yet, no. Uh, we do have a bucket list of international locations that we want to get to. Um, Leap Castle in Ireland is the number one international location that we want to get to. And pretty much any place in Europe, I love American history, but European history has such a longevity that, that we really don't have. So to be able to go over there and investigate some of those locations would be a tremendous opportunity. Um, I'd like to go to the Monte Cristo Homestead in Australia, Australia. Um, I've been there before, but not as an investigator. So I'd love to go back and really take some equipment and spend the night and investigate that location. Um, there's several places in Canada that I would love to get to as well. So the, the list is so long and, and, you know, there's, there's so many locations, both domestically and internationally that just have such an amazing history. And as I said before, the history is really what drives us. So to get to any of those locations is, is always a fascinating experience for us.
0: Absolutely. I do have an experience. My husband and I went with a group and they were doing paranormal investigating. It's part of the group. Um, this was around 2010 and it was our 25th wedding anniversary and oh, we cool. stayed in Kennedy castle. And I would highly recommend you add Kennedy castle to your bucket list. Um, but what we weren't expecting was the Northern Illinois, uh, excuse me, the Northern Ireland paranormal investigation group that was there already they had their cameras and everything set up and they let us join their investigation well that's a lot of fun it was a lot of fun so I would definitely add that but there's so much wonderful um possibilities out there especially what you do in bringing in the history of it because the history really helps fill in those
1: pieces doesn't it it really does. And it really connects a community to a location. So, and by that, I mean, um, you know, you, you find some of these locations and you investigate them and and we'll put out a video when we do these locate, when we investigate these locations. And it's amazing how many people will contact us and say, I never knew that existed. I never knew that story. I never knew that happened. I never knew those events that took place there. And to be able to highlight that and possibly bring some recognition and hopefully there go or ergo uh, preservation of those locations, that's really what, really what we strive to do. Um, one of the locations that we've been very fortunate to investigate, and we've been the only team to investigate this location so far, has been the Ma Barker House in Central Florida. And this was the location of the 1935 shootout between um, two members of the barker Carpus gang, Ma Barker and her son Fred, and about a dozen members of the FBI. So this happened January 16, 1935, and it was the longest gun battle in FBI history. It still holds that moniker today, and over 2,000 uh, rounds were fired between the uh, Monfred and the, the FBI investigators that were outside, and so that event culminated in Monfred being killed inside that house, um, but J. Edgar Hoover really touted it as the end of the gangster era of the 1920s and the 1930s, so that's why it was extremely important, um, and that's why this little town in, in, in central Florida named Ocklawaha had the national spotlight on it in 1935. So when we did the investigation at this house, um, it was one of those things that, again, was a tremendous honor for us to be able to do that. And we captured some amazing, unexplainable evidence during that investigation. And so when we released the video, we had newspapers contact us, radio shows contact us, you know, members of the media contacted us and we had so many people in that community that had been there, you know, lifelong residents of Marion County come up and say, I never knew this was in my backyard. I never knew this happened. I never knew the history behind this. And to me, being able to, again, highlight that um, is just a fascinating experience because we get to really show a community what it has in its backyard.
0: Beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Knowing where where the history came from, right? Mm -hmm. And so as you're going through these investigations, you mentioned the um, one camera that shows a possible person there. Right. Uh, What other kind of technologies do you use to determine whether something's debunkable or something is eligible to being put in the paranormal
1: category? Well, the very first tools that we take with us and we always have with us are our voice recorders, because for me, um, an EVP or an electronic voice phenomena, that, that disembodied voice that we capture on a voice recorder, um, those to me are the hardest to debunk, right? So for example, we're an all-female team, yet when I go into a location and I know that we have complete control of the environment, we're the only people on the property, and I'm capturing a male's voice or I'm capturing a child's voice, that's extremely hard for me to debunk and it extremely hard for me to explain and so voice recorders are extremely important in what we do so we always carry one with us and then when we start the investigation we'll deploy voice recorders in various locations around the property so we can have ears on every location that we can even if we're not physically in a room we've got a voice recorder in that room trying to pick up disembodied voices Um, we also have night vision video cameras and uh, we deploy those in different locations around the property as well we'll also wear body cameras. So we have that video evidence as well as a timestamp of where everybody is during the investigation. So if we capture something, I can cross-reference that, that timestamp and know where everybody is during the investigation to make sure that it's not one of us causing the noise or the sound. Um, after that, Anna, we do... Go ahead.
0: Can I ask a question about sure. the voice recorder? Absolutely. So you mentioned the voice recorder and that you carry one with you. Mm-hmm. Can somebody use their their phone a recording device on their phone would that be the same as one of
1: those voice recorders absolutely so you can absolutely use your phone um, to to record and to um, take video we typically do not take our phones with us simply because we don't want it to interfere with any of our other equipment um, so we're really really conscious about what sets off other pieces of equipment Um, and if we do take our phones with us for whatever reason they're always in airplane mode so again we we can know that it's not interfering with our handheld equipment um so good to know that's excellent
0: advice because there have been times where it's like did i just hear something i think i I wish i had a voice recorder Mm -hmm. but and i realized i have recorder right on my phone so then you talked about after the voice recorder go ahead
1: yeah. So then we have, like I said, night vision video cameras that will deploy in different locations around the, the property that night. Um, we have about 12 of those. They're battery operated. So even if the, the location doesn't have electricity, we still have, you know, um, a site on, on any location in the, in the property there. Um, and then we take handheld equipment with us, uh, tools designed to measure various things. Um, we have something called an EDI box. And essentially it's, a, it's an electronic device, but it has different sensors on it. So if you set it down, um, it will measure vibrations it will measure temperature changes, it will measure electromagnetic energy. So if anything approaches it and it's not one of us and something has energy, it will go off. Um, So that's an interesting tool to have. We have what we call K2 meters. Um, These are small handheld devices, again, designed to measure electromagnetic energy. Um, So theoretically, if we go into a location and there's no power, there's no electricity on, these things should not alarm in any way. So when they do start to alarm, we kind of say that that could be something unexplainable. Um, again, because there's not, there's no energy acting upon it, therefore they shouldn't be alarming. But when they do, that is kind of compelling to us. Um, we have a device called a, a spirit box. And generally speaking, this is a small AM FM radio that's been modified to very quickly sweep through frequencies. So when you turn it on and you hit sweep, it'll go as it's running through these AM and FM frequencies, the idea being that spirits can use the white noise to communicate with us. Um, So we've been very uh, fortunate to capture some interesting things that we can't explain from that box. and we also take what we call trigger items. And so when we before we go to a location, we'll, de- we'll do a deep dive into the history of that location. So we'll spend time in libraries, archives, um, the Library of Congress, the Smithsonian, anything that from where we can draw information about that location. And we use that to guide our questions, but also to allow us to experiment with different trigger items. So for example, when we went to um, Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia, They have casemates throughout the fort, and casemates are subterranean rooms um, where they stored munitions and to keep them safe and dry. Um, But they also used a couple of these casemates for solitary confinement cells. And so we knew through our research that there was a guy um, named William Howe who was put in solitary confinement. And so we asked ourselves, what would somebody in solitary confinement want? Right? Water bread, Probably a cigarette or something like that. So we did. We put those things in there again to try to try to trigger a response. And so we we really try to get creative with those trigger items that we take to these locations. Um, so uh, that that really kind of rounds out our our arsenal of of uh, investigation tools. Fantastic, fan, freaking fantastic! And it's
0: amazing what they've come up with in the last ten years since. Uh, I dabbled in it. So darling, tell us about soul sisters, Well,
1: that's our website. And uh, you know, basically anything that you want to know about us, you can find there. Um, our bios are there. Uh, all of our investigation videos are there. Um, all the locations that we've gone to all of our upcoming lo- uh, locations that we're going to investigate at and or if we're speaking um, at a, you know, a, a conference or a symposium or something, all of our calendar information is there as well. Uh, we also have a spinoff series called Landmarks, Legends and Lore. And um, this is just something that we've started compiling um, that basically highlights uh, local legends or, or local lore um, that people might not know about. So we don't do an investigation on those videos per se, but we highlight different um, different things uh, that could be of interest to people in a general area. Uh, uh, region or um, industry or something like that. Um, for example, the last one that we did was haunting aviation. And we talked about um, the the haunting claims of some airline crashes. So uh, that's one of the things that we also do as well. And uh, so that's, yeah, that's soulsistersparanormal.com. So
0: if somebody has a property that they would like investigated, would you
1: refer them to someone or is that something that you would do? We absolutely do that. If somebody wants to reach out, um, the only caveat that I have to that is for logistic reasons, it, it does have to be in, in a relatively close area to us. Um, I mean, I've had people from Haiti reach out to us. I've had people from the Philippines. And unfortunately, we we just can't get there. Um, so logistically, if we can get there, we will absolutely respond. Um, if not, we do have a network of people around the country and a few international locations uh, that will call and say, hey, I've, I've got an individual that contacted us we can't do it because we physically can't get there. But would you like to to reach out to this person and see if you can help? Um, So anybody that reaches out to us, we absolutely try to respond to that call.
0: Excellent. So for somebody who's like going on a spiritual awakening journey and they may say something along the lines, you know, I heard something, you know, what would you tell someone who might be going through something like this? from your perspective and your
1: experience? Honestly, the first thing that I would say would be listen. Um, listen to that voice that you're hearing. Uh, and because a lot of the times, you know, when, I, when I'm asked about being a paranormal investigator, uh, that's really one of the the answers that I give, right? So when we go to these locations, we actually sit and listen. And a lot of people hear, but not a lot of people listen. And so for us, I think we're we're very fortunate to capture evidence, unexplainable evidence, because we do listen. Um, and then follow up with questions. If you hear a voice or you're perceiving a voice, sit and ask questions and see if you can get a response to that. And so that would, that would probably be my, my main, uh, advice. If somebody were to come to me with that.
0: Love it. Yes. Listen, Mm -hmm. listen, love it. I want to thank you so much. I have been so looking forward to this and, um, I'm going to leave all of your contact information in the show notes in the description. So if you're listening to this and you want to reach out, you want to learn more about the Soul Sisters Paranormal, check them out. We're going to leave all that information. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Denny. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. So I was just looking over the notes and I thought, this is my fourth interview of the day. I'm like, oh, this is
1: the best interview of the day. <laughs> wow. Four interviews. Now I've done three um, as, as a guest appearance, but man, four, that's, that's, a, that's a hefty sick, uh, schedule.